Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelon Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fey encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. Hello, humans. Dang, things have been batshit in the realm of the woo for me lately. If you've been consistently listening in, you've heard me drop little hints here and there about this initiation of sorts that I feel like I'm going through right now. If you've seen the show Hellier, then I think you'll really, really get what I mean by that. If not, it just basically means I've opened myself up to some new, I'll say, subtle energies. Well, sometimes it's not subtle, but I mean that magically speaking, so that vibration is usually more subtle even if it feels intense. More simply put, it just means when you follow the weird or the woo sincerely, it follows you back. It leaves little breadcrumbs for you to further expand your consciousness. I've talked to loads of people within the past 18 months who have said that the veil is thinner than it usually is. The veil between dimensions or realms. Usually it gets thin around certain times of the year, and then it thickens back up. But for some reason, that thickening hasn't been happening, which has made the weird get weirder and the woo get wooer. You may be feeling this shift too. Maybe you're seeing the same numbers over and over again, or you're having super vivid dreams, or you've been a little bit more psychic than usual. For me, it's been all of the above, plus a string of truly bizarre experiences hitting me like rapid fire. I can't tell you about all of them, but I will tell you about one that just happened because it gives you an idea of what kind of woo I'm working with here. So last week, I was at my acupuncturist, who is an incredible woman. I've been going to her weekly for a while now. And she's a very reserved and calm being. She's a Scorpio, super chill, my kind of human. And even though she does amazing energy work in conjunction with the needles, we don't really get into paranormal chats during my sessions. They're mostly quiet because that's how they go. But this particular day, she said, I'm going to do energy work on your front side. So I said, cool. I closed my eyes. She did her thing for a few minutes. And then all of a sudden... I hear her moving rapidly. So I open my eyes and she's doing like a little jig, like a dance, which again is very uncharacteristic for her. So I say, what is it? What? And she looks at me and there's this long, long pause. And then she just says, aliens? And I'm like, what? And she says, aliens. There is an alien energy here with you. And I'm like, okay. And then she does a little wiggle dance again and says, they're helping you. And it's all about music and dance. That's the message. And we sort of stare at each other for many beats. And then she says, this is so weird. But she immediately feels bad that she's calling the experience weird. So she corrects herself and she's like, oh, I mean, well, it's not weird. It's like, I don't know. It's just, and I'm like, it's okay. It's weird. So I think it's safe to say I totally freaked her out or my alien friend did. 
there you have just a slice of the kind of bizarre experiences that have been occurring in my life lately. And I'm sharing this with you because, well, you'll have to wait and see. These experiences are calling me and leading me to take Follow the Woo to places I hadn't imagined. So stay tuned, humans. If you're on this ride with me, it's important to remember something on the path of Woo. How to protect yourself from toxic, prying energy. From weird entities, but more often than not from regular humans trying to scam the shit out of you and use your open-mindedness about the woo against you. This is a huge problem in the whitewashed yogic world, the paranormal investigator world, and the psychic world. That's where this week's guest comes in. Corby Mitleid is a certified tarot master, certified professional tarot reader, professional psychic medium, past life specialist, and ordained minister. She's been on the mystic's woo path for almost 50 years. She's an elder and a protector and a no-bullshit New Yorker. She's written three books about self-development in the psychic world, but the book that we reference the most in this interview is called The Psychic Yellow Book Road, How to Find the Real Wizards and Avoid the Flying Monkeys. This book is such a great tool to avoid said flying monkeys, of which there are many. Loads and loads of fake psychics and other bogus peoples are trying to make a buck off of your belief in magic and the unknown. And it sucks because it really ruins it for the real psychics and gurus out there. Corby and I talk about why she wrote this book and her advice for how to avoid the scammers in this industry. We also talk about past lives and the different ways to access them, the Akashic records, working with death, tarot, and more. Corby has a way with words and does not fuck around. What you see is what you get. And I love that because in the spiritual world, in the mundane world, in all the worlds, authenticity is so fucking rare. It's so refreshing. She is an excellent elder to learn from in these bizarro times. Okay, let's do the woo, shall we? So I don't exactly know where to start because I stalked you yesterday pretty hard. And I where? Been, well, just on the interwebs, I went all through your website and I kind of want to figure out how to craft this in a way that isn't the way that's been done before. Did you have fun, first of I, all? I did. You're a very interesting person. And I have I'm about halfway through-ish the psychic yellow brick road. And mm-hmm. I think I good. I want to focus on that a lot because it's a great book. I really think that damn people should know because I hear it all the time that people spent like four hundred dollars on something that was totally worthless. And mm-hmm. I do want to start just a little bit with your background, even though I know you talk about that a lot. The origin story, if you will, it's a good story. I know you talk about it all the time. So let's do your like origin story to start and then we'll sort of offshoot from there. So all of my friends who have listened to all of my 300 podcasts, you know, give me a minute and a half here. When I was nine, I read a book called The Witch Family by Eleanor Estes. And instead of thinking, ooh, that's scary or ha ha ha, I thought, and your point is, I knew there was magic in the world, wanted to go find it. Fast forward to 1973 when I was a senior in high school. And yes, that tells you how old I am. I was working part-time at Spencer Gifts. 
that was when Live and Let Die came out with Gene Seymour, the solid, you know, solitaire, the reader. And they had the James Bond 007 tarot deck and I bought it. I mean, we were all hippies then. You had your elephant bell bottoms and your fringe jacket and your deck. Five years later, everyone else had moved on to roller skates and disco balls. I was still reading. The cards fascinated me and I loved the stories they told. So for 20 years, read for friends, kept my ego out of the way so I'd be a clear tube for the information. All of a sudden in 1994, I could do hands-on healing and talk to dead people with no training. That's when the universe handed me my draft notice and said, greetings, you're working for us. So I hung <laughs> my shingle out part-time while I did lots and lots of different jobs. Actress, author, inspirational speaker, video producer, legal assistant, writer for the graphic novel series ElfQuest for 10 years, executive recruiter, you name it. Psychic work always on the side. 9-11, my husband and I watched the towers burn. And I said, Carl, I have to do the work full time. People need to know there are other answers out there. And he said, I believe in you, go do it. So for a year, I still worked 70 hours a week as the executive recruiter, evenings and weekends, did the psychic work. Once I was sure I could make a living at it, I said goodbye to corporate and I have never looked back. I now work six days a week, 14 hours a day. No, you can't have me on Wednesdays. I read about a thousand people a year and I get to get up every morning. I don't have to get up every morning. That's huge. That is huge. I talk about not on this podcast, but in my mm -hmm. professional life, we talk about mm -hmm. that all the time, how there are so few people who actually enjoy getting out of bed every morning. I live yeah. in Los Angeles. People think it's I, the city of dreams. It is. Was. Is, was. <laughs> is, was. It is, was. But at the same time, I would say it's predominantly people who are unhappy in what they originally thought was their dream. So it's amazing. Theater major at Brown. So I, I did the, the stuff in late 80s, early 90s, Actors Institute in New York and all the auditions and all the things. And then I realized I don't want to spout anybody else's words. I want to say mine. Mm. So if you can find a way to morph your dream, you're going to be better off. That's good advice just for me in general. So thanks for that. Also, I have found recently that a lot of actors and theater majors have later in life become psychics and they've gotten more into their spiritual mm -hmm. work. I think that's really interesting. It seems to go together because I do spirit stuff as well. Not anywhere near what you guys do, but I also have the acting element how did those two things seem to go together for some reason? What is it? Is it about vulnerability? I don't, I can't put my finger you know, on it. The way I see it, spirit, the universe, Ralph, the wonder dog, whatever you want to call it, looks at what we've got and uses it. For instance, there are a lot of psychics who use a pendulum. For those who don't know, that's the crystal on a string. It gives you yeses and nos. Now I have a slight benign tremor in my right hand. You know, think Catherine Hepburn. So I can't trust what I would get in a pendulum, so I don't use it. On the other hand, theater major at Brown, words are my drug of choice. I'm a writer, so I understand storylines. And I'm a history nut. My husband and I met through the old Rhinebeck Aerodrome, which is a flying museum in Rhinebeck, New York. As he says, there was this gorgeous brunette who knew the difference between a Fokker DR1 and an F1 based on the wing skids. I had to marry her. Now you put all that together and you get a past life specialist. Whereas, I mean, there are other psychics who do past lives and they're good, but somebody else might say to you, okay, I see a life 
where you are female and it's a long skirt, it's a big hat, so I know it's old fashioned. Me, I would go, okay, female, hobble skirt, picture hat, that kind of ostrich feather. I see you in front of the Brandenburg Gate. We're talking Berlin in 1911. Which one's going to give you more information? Mm-hmm. So that's part to, to circle back to your question. Actors know how to listen for cues. They know how to get into a character's head. They're ready for improv. And they know how to put their egos aside to channel the part. One of the examples I use for when you're looking at, well, why, what's the difference between a soul and a personality? How can we only come back once, but you say we also reincarnate? Matt Smith, the 11th doctor, this is my doctor, but also Prince Philip and the crown. Now, Prince Philip and the 11th doctor are two totally different characters calling on completely different parts of Matt Smith to bring to life. Matt Smith is like your soul. The doctor and Prince Philip are like incarnations. See how that works? Matt Smith is always Matt Smith. Yes, got once it. Once he played the doctor, once he played Prince Philip. This is where our storytelling things as actors really come forward because if you just technically blargan jargon at somebody, they'll go, I guess. But if you give them pictures and you tell them stories, that they get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that it. That's it. You hit on like all the pieces that it is. It, it just, I found that interesting recently that a lot of the best paranormal investigators that I've met, yeah. they were theater majors. They're just more in tune in those, in those ways. Okay. So in your amazing elevator pitch of your origin story, there was the part where you said, was it 1994 when you found out that you, with no training, you were able to talk with the dead. What the fuck happened? I was working with a friend. This is when I was doing my own past life explorations. And she, she is a superb psychic. She was out in Fort Collins, Colorado. Then She never went public because she'd be afraid that her kids would be taken away. And God knows where she is now. May she live and be well. But we started seeing people in her house. We were doing past life explorations, both of us. Both of us connected through, apparently, we knew each other during World War I in Germany. I was a pilot. She was a girlfriend of a pilot. And so when we were doing some of these exploration things, all of a sudden, we both saw a short kind of stout man in World War II aviation greens, very, very upset, sitting in a chair. And we recognized that this was a pilot named Ernst Udet. He was a famous World War I ace, but of course became a member of the Nazi party and the Luftwaffe and all of that. And he had committed suicide. So we were able to work with that soul. Now remember, the soul is fine. But this fragment of the soul, this personality had put itself in a box because when we die, we get what we expect. If you expect as a suicide, you'll never see the face of God. That part of the personality doesn't. So we helped pull him out. Then we started to get some pretty negative visitations from one of the other members of the Nazi party that was the one who set him up to to fail. Things like pictures falling off the wall, feeling hands around our neck, all kinds of things. I'm not going to go into the whole story, but that's when I realized the dead need us. 
one of the things I seem seem to be able to do is I call myself a door that helps souls caught in the gray spaces. And very often it's soldiers. When I was living in Atlanta, there was just an apparition in my living room. And he was just a little trench soldier from World War One. But you only saw this much of his face. This was missing. He'd obviously been blown away. Half of his face. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't see the blood and the guts. You just saw it just wasn't there. And interestingly, the first thing they always want to know is who won. And you have to explain to them it doesn't matter. Then you work with them to forgive the person who killed them and forgive themselves for killing others. And then you can help them move into the light. There, I'm sure there are other people that do that because I was a World War I soldier and I remember it. That's probably one of the reasons that they come to me. To this day, do you primarily work with soldiers? Is that just what comes through for you or it's no, opened up? It's now expanded. That's what started. Now, I mean, if you want to talk to dead Aunt Maggie, we try. The best, best medium I ever knew, God rest her crazy, wonderful soul, was Allie Cheslick. She lived here in Albany with me. And we called Allie Chatty Cathy of the Dead, because she was. And there are a lot of psychics who can just reach up and grab. But it takes them a little time sometimes. And they don't know who they're going to get, but they just pull down. And maybe it's who you want. Maybe it isn't. I tend to use what I call dog tags. I do not feel it's cheating, but it gets me into the person right away. For instance, my father, Jerome Richard Dorkin, who died in 2001 at the age of 80. Notice that tells me nothing, but tells me who is wanted. I immediately reach for that person. And then what happens, and again, this is just how my guides want to work, is it's almost like charades. And I just let that happen until the person in front of me says, yes, that's Uncle Danny. And then I open the door and I let them talk directly. It doesn't mean that I am not aware, but I just make sure that I keep the road clear and I say exactly what they need to say. This is why I will not do it live the way you know, James Van Proud, John Holland, Lisa Williams does it because I won't censor what comes out of the mouth. Now, I can tell a slightly cleaned up story or late night comedy version of the story. Both are true, but it's a matter of which words I use. Which one would you like? Late night comedy. Okay. This was a reading I did in Canastota, New York. There was a biracial same gender couple. The black partner had died and her white widow wanted to speak to her. Now, I was brought up with manners. But what came out of my mouth was, well, shit, if it ain't my white bitch. And I'm going, ew, ew. you know, that would not be what I said. But the woman in front of me started laughing and crying and nodding because that is how her partner, Isabel, walked into the house after every business trip. Now, you can't say that publicly, not with this face. But if I had cleaned it up, she would not have had that incontrovertible evidence that it was her wife come home to speak to her. So that's why for me, doing mediumship is intensely private. On the other hand, I do past life galleries because those I can pull down very fast. Example, I was lecturing at Lilydale, which is a very famous uh, spiritualist community in Western New York with Robert Schwartz. He is the author of an internationally best-selling book series on life between lives, pre-birth planning. And a woman had butch short hair, raised her hand. She said, can you tell me why I'm so terrified of having wet hair in my face? I mean, like just one strand and I can't breathe. I said, all right, five syllables, Lusitania. In 1915, you were a passenger on the ship. 
It was torpedoed by the Germans. You went over the side, but you hadn't bobbed your hair yet. You still had that big Edwardian mask, which took on a lot more water, and it got caught with debris, and you drowned. She looks at me white-faced, and she says, is that why I'm scared to go on a boat? I said, probably. She had told me nothing except why the wet hair in my face, but I immediately got the download. So that I will do. In fact, I have done, a lot of cities have what they call first night events on New Year's Eve. And so first night Saratoga for a couple of years, I did past life galleries, three of them, you know, 150 people every 45 minutes. No, I didn't read 150 people, but I probably got about 65 past lives among the three groups. (laughs) And I went home and collapsed. I was going to ask, do you pass out after that? Well, I have a reader's high while I'm doing it. I love it, but it is exhausting. It really is because while I'm letting, I'm not doing this to, you know, I'm not trying to figure things out. I'm letting spirit throw it in the hopper here. It's the adrenaline rush of being in front of the audience like that. Yeah. It's the same thing when I used to do four day shows in Kitchener, Ontario. Friday was three to nine, Saturday and Sunday, 10 to nine. Monday, 10 to 6. You know, this was their holidays, Victoria Day, Labor Day. In that time, I'd read about 70 people and do two lectures. Again, exhaustion, but wonderful. I've heard that before. I just talked to somebody a couple of months ago who is a psychic. But one of the things that he said was that when he's in it, he's like, he's buzzing. But then Mm -hmm. afterward, that's when it's just like, you know, total shutdown. But in the moment of doing a reading, if it's just one-on-one on on the phone or in Zoom, in person, or if it's like a whole crowd of people, it's still, it's got this buzz to it. That tells me that he understands it's not ego. John Holland, very famous meaning, says, remember, you are just the tube that comes through. And when we allow that tube to happen is when we do our best work because we get out of the way. Somebody asked me once, how do you know when you're really channeling and it's not just you? I said, all right, let's, let's go to Rob Schwartz's book, the middle book, Your Soul's Gift. There was a chapter on miscarriage and abortion. And in that book, um, I was channeling the higher self, the soul of the client, the subject for them to talk to, to understand what happened in their lives. Now, when I got the book and I opened up and I read that chapter and what I had channeled, I called Rob. Rob, what the hell is this? This would never come out of my mouth. You have to have it wrong. He said, would you like me to play back the recording? And I said, no. But it was brilliant proof because what her soul wanted her to understand about miscarriage and abortion in life is 180 degrees from what I personally believe for me. The fact that it came out flawlessly and in just full flow, that was channeling. I was not there. I'm hearing that a lot, that it is this, you keep mentioning it too. And it's a really good point that you put your ego aside to allow whatever to come through you. And tell me about how you cultivated that. That's a practice, right? Anybody can do this, right? With, with practice. Is that true? The way I explain it, you know, we're all wired like the same house plant and we, we all have 10 fingers. Everybody can play chopsticks. Some of us, really want to get good. So we devote time and we practice our scales and we learn to read music. One in 10 million is Elton John. So yes, we can all do it. As far as how I put my ego aside, well, that's not just how I live my psychic life. 
that's what I had to do for me. My motto is live the examined life. Don't be a victim. Don't be, oh, poor me. This happened. Why? You got to find a way to be okay with it. The example I very often give is um, I'm a 310 cancer dancer. Notice I don't say I fought cancer because what you fight fights back. And I am not a survivor because I do a lot more than hang on by teeth and toenails. I am a cancer dancer. I found out how graceful I could be under pressure. Didn't get my toes stepped on and got off the dance floor in one piece. But third bout, second primary, but third bout, the doctor said, okay, three strikes, you're out. In three weeks, we're taking the rack, we're taking the ovaries, and you're going from this Dolly Parton figure to a fat fire plug with permanent side effects and tough, suck it up. You know, I know we can't do anything to help you because you have cancer, but we cured it. That's your typical university hospital. And I'd just been married a year and a half. So I went home and I cried. I'm normal. But then I knew I've got to find a way to be okay with this or I won't make it. And I didn't care how stupid the reasons were. So I came up with three. Number one, you don't have them. You can't get cancer there. That's a good thing. Number two, the top half is not going to get slammed in the refrigerator door at the doctor's every year. And every woman listening knows exactly what I'm talking about. Third, implants. I'll be perky till I'm 93. Cool. So had the double mastectomy and reconstruction, walked out of Mass General in three days, shopped for a bathing suit in five. That was back in 2004. I'm still married. Same guy. So, I mean, his comment was, am I going to miss him? Hey, yeah, they were gorgeous, but I married you, not them. And it's taken work, but we kept it together. And that's what taught me If you're in ego, what will I look like? How awful will it be for me? You're not touching on to creativity. You're not touching on to hope. You're not touching on to being able to walk toward change. You can't run away from change. It will trip you. Life is change. The more you're good with that, the more that you realize ego is a snapshot. It's not where you are as you move. That's how you get through it. And as a result, It is easy for me to put aside my ego when I do my work, because I know that's not the me that does the work. That's like this outfit. It can be taken on and off. The true soul is what works through. And that is what is the tube to bring the work from me to the client. When 9-11 happened, you Mm -hmm. mentioned that you said to your husband, Carl, that you needed to do this full time. Did you think that being a psychic and offering these services was so important in that moment? We literally watched the towers collapse. We watched the plane go in. And it was kind of like a clarion call from spirit. The world has changed. It will never be what it was. And people are going to be scared. They need to get out of just looking at, at the tiny world where they are and realize that there is hope. There is reason. There, there are other answers. These people might not get their answers from whatever church, synagogue, mosque, coven they go to. If I can put them in touch with the numinous, if I can help them get through this three-dimensional world to somewhere else where they might find a little peace, they might find a couple of answers, that's sacred work. You're in service. When you realize you've been given these gifts in service, the ego has to get put aside. Otherwise, it's my aura don't stink. Oh, please. 
There are psychics like that. <laughs> oh, honey. They're the ones that I call the Madam Who Haas and the Swami Swillandas. <laughs> you mentioned in your book, The Psychic Yellow Brick Road. I believe it's that one. But you mentioned Miss Cleo. Call me now. <laughs> and I got such a kick yes. out of that. I because I told I had she crops up every like couple years and yeah. somebody brings her back up. She was so fake. <laughs> and Jamaican by way of East LA. I know. Yeah. And she swindled and scammed hundreds, thousands of people. How she even got that freaking commercial on TV is beyond me. People like that. That's why I wrote this book. People often say, so why did you write it? It came from one single incident. This is, again, back up in Toronto. It was a 250 boot psychic. They're big, big, big. And so you had the big wide aisle and there were boots on either side. And we saw a bunch of us, a woman walk down the aisle and out from a booth came what we call a fake gypsy. Now, you know, there are real gypsies in Roma and I have respect for them, but gypsies are easy to fake. You put on the long skirt and the jingling jewelry and the headscarf and you do a bad accent and you can be gypsy. So this woman runs out and grabs this woman walking down the street. Now, that in the parlance is called hooking. But we hear her say to the woman, oh, you don't need to pay 30, 40, 50 dollars for your this. I read your palm for 10. Come. So she drags the woman into her booth. 20 minutes later, we see the, the customer walking out crying hysterically. A bunch of us run over to see if we can help. The fake gypsy had told her, oh, you have a family curse. How many in your family? Four. You have dog? $50 every family member, $25 per dog. He's small, we fix. And then told her if she didn't burn 400 specially blessed candles at the Roman Catholic Church, I bless real good, only $1 candle. Her entire family was going to die in a car accident in two weeks and she bought it. <sighs> that's, you know, that's... and there was nothing that we could do except disabuse her of that notion. But it's why I wrote that book so people wouldn't get swindled. And that's what I love because I love about the book because I imagine, well, first, let me back up at these expos. And is that what they're all called expos or conferences? I guess I could psychic fairs, holistic expos, spiritual expos, spiritual fests. I mean, if you were just going to give me like a rough percentage of your guess of how many people at those spaces are fake or trying to swindle people what would you say just just from your loads of experience really it depends on the promoters mm -hmm. now at a place with 250 people yeah you're going to have about 10 15 percent that are probably fakes but the best shows that i did the ones i loved in canada were first star psychic fairs they were run by a pair stan mallow and ray Fauche. stan was a brooklyn boy ray was from Quebec, but they had both been on our side of the booth for years. So when they became promoters, they were absolute professionals. They would not tolerate that kind of nonsense. And they wouldn't tolerate what I call bitchcraft between the psychics. Bitchcraft is, well, if she gets a reading, then that means I won't have anybody. So she's really not good. You know, you should come to me. No, that, that, that's bitchcraft. And so I was always comfortable doing a show with Stan and Ray because I trusted them implicitly. They're retired now, you know, and with the year of murder, horned bingo, we can't go across to Canada anyway. 
But those shows you could absolutely trust. In fact, I think um, in either Psychic Yellow Brick Road or maybe in the other book, You've Got the Magic Who Needs a Genie, I explain to people how to find a good psychic, get a psychic there. I tell them, you have to go in like good puppies. First, you do your walkies. You go around and you just look at the booths and, you know, you see who's doing what and how they kind of feel to you. You'll probably see maybe half a dozen that you wouldn't, you know, maybe these people. So then what you have to do is you have to go get paper trained and you go and you pick up flyers or rack cards or whatever these people have to tell you who they are and how they work. If we're not busy, you can talk to us. If we are, you can talk to our front people. But remember, I can tell you I'm wonderful and that doesn't count. And we hire our front people to say they love us. My very first front person for many years was the wonderful Laura Spickerman. I love Laura. She was my husband's office manager at the museum he was director of Monday through Friday. I had her weekends. Do you think she was going to dismiss his museum director? No, I don't think so. So what you do is you look on the table. All of us have testimonial books. In there are comments from people that have had readings. Read through it. Are we funny? Are we kind? Do we have specialties? Children, dogs, dead people? Are they accurate? Would they come back again? And the final thing is check in at your heart level, kids. You're putting your hard-earned money on the table. If the psychic doesn't feel like they have a brain in their head, they really give a damn about what they're doing, or they're going to give you good information. Don't go there, no matter how cool the wiki woo looks on the table. Now, people often say, do you recommend other psychics? And I say, not if I haven't had a reading. There are a couple that I can name right off the bat that are wonderful. Eagle Skyfire, my wing sister down in Pennsylvania, who's now Llewellyn author and is fabulous Native American First Nations person. Crystal Wind, Nita Merrick certified tarot master like me. But there are others that I wouldn't. There was one woman, she's long dead. So she was Reverend Geraldine. She was on circuit with me and people liked her. So I wanted to see, can I recommend her? So I went to have a reading and she took my hand. She closed my eyes and goes, I'm so sorry that you're so lonely. There just don't seem to be any men in your life. I'm wearing a wedding ring. Hello. <laughs> I didn't send anybody to her. And Hello? the other one, yeah, I'm just going to call her Reverend Crotchety. I've even forgotten what her real name was. She, this is way back when I was first doing shows, like around 2002 or three. She was a promoter and she said, really glad to have you. Let me show you how we do readings here. Now, that was five months before I married Carl. We still can't pass each other in the house without smooching. Cute. But that's, we are, you know, we're that cute old couple. <laughs> but she threw some cards and said, oh. I'm so sorry to see this, but your fiance is sleeping with your best friend on a daily basis and he's siphoning money out of your bank account. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't know where my bank was. And my best friend at that point was Thousand Oaks. Every day from Albany, New York. I don't think so. But then she told me how she took her, you know, she said, this is how you can work with it. She told me how she took her last four husbands to the cleaners. Muddy channels give muddy information, guys. If you find out this one is a one-trick pony and they always tell everybody the same thing, beat it. Hmm. That is not a psychic. That's a scam artist. You mentioned that these expos count on promoters. Like if the promoters are bunk, then the whole thing is going to be bunk. So if the promoters, do you think the majority of them are just trying to make a buck? Or do you think that 
it, you and you've got to like search and find the ones that are better where like you said it's those those two people who were psychics themselves so they had a really really high standard well you know that's like saying how hard is it to find a decent doctor there are so many different kinds it's bedside manner for someone like me who is radically authentic yes. in your face new yorker <laughs> don't give me fluff <laughs> it ain't gonna work but people who are just starting maybe they want the tiny little show where the promoter is there to make money and they don't know too much about it themselves and you know they get a tablecloth from home and they have a scrawly hand, hand lettered sign and they do it for 10 bucks if that's how you start it's how you start but if you are serious about this you really have to check and one of the things i talk about in you've got the magic who needs a genie are some of the things that you have to ask when you are looking at whether to do a show. How well do the promoters promote? How easy is setup and breakdown? Is there enough parking? How many people come through the door? Um, is the promoter willing to step up if there's a problem? The reason that I wrote that book, you've got the magic who needs a genie, that one, is because I was on the road 45 weekends a year, 45, 50,000 miles a year for 18 years. My nickname was the Travel Channel. But <laughs> in 2019, herniated disc pinched nerve. And honey, that agony makes having triplets look like a tea party. That was in July 19. By November, I was pretty much out of the woods. But the doctors all said, you're toast. You cannot do load in, load out anymore. You certainly can't run the car for 10 hours. So I immediately had to move my entire business online. Now, that turned out well for me because what happened in March 2020, but the year of hold my beer and all the shows closed down, but I was already online. So I was fine. At the same time, there are still people who are going to love to do the show circuit. So I said, I have to write this stuff down for people because most people in this business aren't business people. They do not know how to stand on the twin mountains of business acumen and wiki woo. It's, it's what we call it. You know, we, we know that what we do is weird for a lot of people. And frankly, when we can joke about it mildly like that, it's a way of proving that we don't think our aura don't stink. Um, so if I can take everything that I learned and we go through the basics, the social approach, the intangibles, the grab bag, all of it, and help other psychics, new kids come up, why would I not? Why would I make them go through the mud and the trenches I had to go through learning my business? Because there was no book out there like that. Mm -hmm. There are 9 billion people in the world, guys. I can't read them all. Eventually, I'm going to be dead. Here, you take it. It's, it's, but the weird thing was a lot of people they would see me find the rookies at a show and bring them over to my booth and let them look through and let them ask questions. And they'd say, but aren't you afraid? I mean, those are your competition. I said, no, they're not. These are new kids. I am reading at this point, it's just about 50 years. I am a New Yorker. I'm funny. Nobody reads cards as fast as I do. Nobody is quite as good at past lives as I am. They're going to find their own level and their own specialties. Why would I be afraid? Mm -hmm. That, again, the fear stuff is bitchcraft. And I won't play that game. Mm -hmm. I think that's important in any industry, really, is not to be constantly in a state of fear 
that somebody is going to get what what you're supposed to get or you know it is that that bitchcraft can that term can be mm-hmm. applied to the acting industry to all the industries it's really true. and you know there's a fabulous t-shirt i really have to get one going around saying giving somebody else more rights doesn't take away from yours it's not pie right and it's the same thing yeah it's the same thing there were rare shows where it would be crickets for me and my buddy debbie uh, we would often share a booth, was rocking and rolling. My peeps weren't there. People who are who love me and come back want truth. They don't mind funny. They are not expecting me to just, you know, make it all nice for them or talk glurpy purple with angels. I won't. If they say, hi, can I talk to my spirit guide, Ralph? I've been having problems. Maybe they want somebody softer than me, for instance. And I I was unafraid to use all the other knowledge I had. Look, I was an executive recruiter for years. So if somebody comes to me and says, I want to open up a vinyl record store, great. I would not pull a couple of cards and say, wait until October and fire the second redhead. It's (laughs) a card for them, a card for the energy around the business, a card for the brick and mortar location they should look for, how to market it, clients, competition, staff, finances, what they need to know and best possible outcome. Giving them all that detailed information puts a rocket pack on their back and powers them. Mm-hmm. And I teach my clients, don't ask yes or no questions. If he had said, will my business be successful? I look at him and say, and what if I said no, and you're going to lose everything and live under a, you know, in a box under a bridge? Wrong question. But the thing is, that's me. Other psychics, the bad ones would say, oh, well, you see, you're going to fail in your business because there's a blockage but I have this magic candle for $600. (laughs) So that's why you don't want to open yourself up to yes or no. It's always, how do I make things work? Mm -hmm. Because my job is to empower. I'm in service. That's exactly what I was going to say, that I've had loads of readings. And one of the mistakes that I have made more than once, I will admit, is I've asked those, you know, yes or no questions. And what you're doing in that moment, what I was doing, I... I did not realize it at the time was I was giving my power away. I was basically saying, oh, you tell me if my relationship is healthy. Oh, you tell me if I'm on the right path. Then what that does, what that did to me, especially for I have an overactive mind, is then I would just spiral after the session. I'd be like, Mm -hmm. well, shit. Maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to do. And then you're, that's that's the opposite of putting a rocket packet on their back and being like, booyah, go for it. It's, it's why, you know how people come and say, what's my purpose? <laughs> you don't get that from me because I haven't lived your life, faced your challenges, dealt with what you've dealt with. So what I teach people is you got to find your sentence of passion. Your sentence of passion is not who you are or what you do or even how you do it. It's your vapor trail. When you go skidding into heaven on bald tires and fumes in the tank and God hands you a beer and says, so you get to go, I did this. Isn't it cool? For instance, my sentence of passion is cross the bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. When I can take somebody from point A to point B when they thought they couldn't make it, whack them on the shoulder and say, here are your wings. You don't need a flight plan. Now, I'm living my bliss, which is why I've created a consultation called Create Your Sentence of Passion. And I give you two pages of homework with what look like really disjointed questions, but they're not. And everyone says, oh, this looks easy. And when they come back to me, it's like, I wrestled with this for days. I said, I know that's the purpose. 
Then we see what your recurring themes are. And together, we come up with your motto, which is what you say to yourself in the mirror, and your sentence of passion, which is your rallying cry to the world. No, my motto, I have two. The, the polite formal one is live the examined life. The one from me, me, is a direct quote from Robert Heinlein's book, Time Enough for Love. In life, moderation is from monks. Take big bites. <laughs> and but when people create their own sentence of passion, they make it work. For instance, this was a woman who wanted to make sure that her hospice work was right. Her sentence of passion, my heart connects to, to lead the weary home. There was another person who was an HR person. Life has changed. Be fearless. If you don't ask, the answer is no. See, it's not something that you copy off a Hallmark card. It's who you are. And that's what empowers you because you can take that sentence of passion anywhere in your life and make it work. That reminds me of, is it, I think his name is Simon Sinek. He's a very popular nonfiction author right now. And I, I'm pretty sure it's him. I'll have to double check, but his whole thing is finding your why. And I took like a three-day course. I can't remember his name, but I think that's his name. Sure. But uh, the three-day course basically takes it from this, you know, jumble of word salad, essentially. And then by the end of the course, you have the sentence. And that sentence, if it doesn't bring like a tear to your eye or make your, you know, heart Twitter pate, then it's probably not your sentence. And so you find that thing. It sounds really similar to that. If you include the psychic element to where you're tuned into your intuition and you're locking into their intuition in that sort of magic space and you take that same concept it's like double people don't think about psychics that way they think that you go and you say like when am i going to fall in love you know and that that question where the hell is the question yes yes and that that again is like so so disempowering you know it's it really is so it's and i love that you actually you mentioned that more than once in the psychic yellow brick road here's how you can prepare to go see a psychic as well. Yes, exactly. And which questions not to ask. I mean, let's go with the, where the hell is he question? (laughs) There are some people who are so intent on, you must give them the answer they want to hear that they will keep tapping at you. No, the example I use in there, which frankly, when other psychics read the book, everybody dog ears that page and and has hysterical laughter. Does Bruce love me? No. Well, is he going to love me? Not the way you want. Well, if I do such and such, will he love me? No, he won't. Is he going to call? No. Well, if he's not going to call soon, is he going to call later? I don't think so. Well, if I do, and you know, they go bang, 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 because they're hoping finally he'll go, yes, yes, he loves you and he wants seven babies with you, but he just doesn't know it yet. Oh, good. I thought so. Don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. Slippery slope. it, it really is. And, and that's why I say to people, you want pretty or you want honest? Mm-hmm. Most of them will say honest. And mm-hmm. then I say, well, then this is what it honestly is. Shortly after I moved to Los Angeles, I had a moment where I did not have a job. This is a very common story for moving to L.A. And I was weaving together things here and there like, okay, let's do this job. Let's do this job. One of them happened to be an online psychic. My friends were like, you do sort of like impromptu readings for us. Let's see what it's like. I can't remember which company it was, and I probably shouldn't say anyways, Mm -hmm. but I got on there and... I got a lot of people and it's it's something like the first three or five minutes are free or some shit. 
And mm-hmm. so, you know, they'd like quickly type like, you know, and it's always, does Bruce love me? It was the same shit. And I found out I, I only did it for a short while, but cause I didn't make any freaking money and mm-hmm. it didn't make sense. It was the, it wasn't the right area for me. But what mm-hmm. I noticed is that they kept asking those same questions over and over again. And if they didn't yes, get they that do. answer, then it wasn't worth it to them. And it was like, well, I kept thinking, this is not what the psychic client relationship should look like. This isn't what it should feel like. It should feel True. like this path that we're forging together, right? That's always the best thing. Now, there is a line that I work for. It's called Best Psychics Directory. And we're not cheap. But because I'm as fast as I am, I can get people in and out fast. And it's if all you have is one question, it's probably cheaper to hit me up on there than it is to book a half an hour reading with me. Mm. And for the people who do the does Bruce love me questions, can you tell me about this guy? I'll say, okay, your name and age and the guy's first name and age, just so I can get in. So let's say it's Amanda and Josh. I'll pull a card for Amanda, a card for Josh, a card for the relationship as it stands, what they need to know in best possible outcome. And I'll tell her what I see, but she will have to be the one who determines is the relationship worth pursuing or not. Hmm. And if somebody says, I still don't know, I pull what I call the three threes. Three cards for status quo. You do nothing. You just kind of bumble along the way you are. Three cards for the come to Jesus meeting where it's a line in the sand, it's serious counseling, it's whatever. And three cards for hostel. Bye-bye. It's been nice. I'll send you a postcard. You're done. And even if one of them is going, tell her this, I will say, use the same tone of voice for all of them and let her make the decision. The only exception is if she says that she's battered or being gaslit, then the psychic goes away and I put on my reverend collar because I am an ordained minister and I start a little pastoral counseling. No, you don't have to be beaten up every day. Mm -hmm. But other than that, you make the decision and I give you fast, practical information for you to do. It's the ones where they draw you into constant conversation. You know, the psychics who do that. Those mm-hmm. are the scam lines. Totally. Totally. And you said you use the cards. I mean, and you're also a certified tarot master. Yes. How, how does one become a certified tarot master? What's that certification? Well, I actually have two things. I'm a certified professional tarot reader which I became through the Tarot Certification Board of America, which is no longer around. And that was a three-hour exam, not can you just read the cards and can you read them upside down, but can you design spreads, what's your code of ethics, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Certified Tarot Master comes through the Tarot Guild, which is still around for the Tarot Guild on Facebook. And it's based on length of time, public reputation, they watched my free reading hours on Facebook. They saw that you know they came out like this and that I also teach. I do some classes, but I have one, one student that, you know, it's definitely the uh, Obi-Wan and Luke kind of thing. She's 14. And I think she's going to be a better reader than 90% of the people I've ever met. She is incandescent. Dang. So yeah, with her, it's a treasure and a privilege to teach her. The other thing that I explain to people is you can also use oracle cards. And I use about seven or eight different decks. Each one has their own feel. Now, what's the difference between tarot and oracle decks? Tarot has certain rules. It's been around for a million years. Okay, Oracle decks are a relatively new invention where the artist can go to town. There are no requirements at all. 
for instance, there's one deck by John Gray, the guy who wrote Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. And that's the one that I always use along with the Does Bruce Love Me tarot spread. There is a wonderful deck by Brian Froud and Jessa Macbeth. Brian did the puppetry work in Labyrinth and Dark Crystal. And that's the fairies oracle, but this is not your ootsie cutesy fairies. These guys march inside your head, rip up the floor tiles and give you homework. For a very compassionate read, I have a particular deck that features Ganesh. Ganesh is the lord of obstacles in the Hindu pantheon. And everybody in India has a little statue of him in the house. For those who don't know, here's the American equivalent. You're in South Philadelphia and the little Italian-American grandmother has the peeling statue of the Virgin Mary in the back by the barbecue. It's the same ubiquitous thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I even have a deck for children. You know, we were talking about professionalism. If I'm in a very busy show and, you know, there's a mom who comes in for a reading and little three-year-old muffin is squirming on her lap and says, mommy, mommy, card, card, card. She'll say, can my kid pull a card, please? If you don't have a children's deck, what might happen? Oh, look, muffin, death. And what's the kid going to do with that? So I've got <laughs> cat wisdom, which has adorable kittens and puppies, and there's nothing scary. So little Muffin can pull a card, and I can give Muffin her reading, and Muffin is happy, and the mother is going, thank you. Mm, so yeah. no, these again, these are all the things that most people don't think about. It's all in the book. So I love that the book has two central purposes, right? It's two two tracks like right it's on one end it's for the person going to the psychic and on the other end it's the psychic how the psychic should behave the professionalism and all of those beats yeah that is definite in psychic elbert road and then it's completely covered in you've got the magic but a lot of psychics have said to me about yellowbrook road god i wish i had this book when i was starting mm-hmm. to me that's one of the biggest compliments i can have absolutely did something mm-hmm. happen was it just that gypsy who came in and hooked that lady or what, what was it that was like, shit, I got to write this book. Cause people are just getting, it was sad. that, that was yeah. the story. Now there had been other things. You don't predict a death. You just don't. And mm. in Syracuse, I saw a man, you know, he had had cancer of the jaw and he was really messed up. So he came in for a reading with his wife who could speak for him. And the psychic there again, flips and cards said, you got seven months, not a day more. You don't do that. Now, that person was frog marched out and he will never read in that area again. But we had to do damage control. You don't do that. What if you're doing a reading and you do see it's just like irrefutable? You have like, let's say a spirit come in, you have cards showing up and it looks like this person's going to die. How do you what do you say instead Well, the closest I ever came to that, because I have the agreement with my guides, I will not see anyone's death. It's not fair to them or me. Mm -hmm. I saw some gray in in the chest and I said, you know, I'm just seeing some gray here. Why don't you just go get checked out? Turned out it was the beginning of ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Wow. And four years later, his wife, now a widow, comes back to me and says, you know, I really want to thank you for what you did that day because we went and got it checked out. We caught it very, very early. And we had four good years before he died because we knew what we were up against. But normally, no. That's, again, part of knowing when something's in your wheelhouse and something isn't. Nobody is as good with career as I am. They're not. But health, I'm kind of like your general practitioner. 
you have a serious health problem. I am going to send you to my best bud, Stacy Wells. Now, Stacy is what I consider the best medical intuitive in the U.S. Mm. She's seen brain tumors that people have missed. She saw my cancer before anybody else saw it. She can literally look into the DNA of your body. So if somebody came to me with a serious health question like that, I would say, go to Stacy. Because I would want that. I don't care if it means I'm going to lose a $400 reading. It doesn't matter. Stacy is the one they need to talk to. Mm-hmm. And there are times when someone calls Stacy and she says, you want to talk to Corby Shisha Girl. Mm-hmm. Again, that's a mark of professionalism when we're not your best answer, but we know who is. You guys have an alliance and you work together and you play on each other's strengths, which I think is so yep. important. Yeah. And there's another person. We're no longer close friends, but that doesn't mean that I don't highly respect her work. Her name is Katrina Rasbold. She is a bruja. She's published by Llewellyn. She runs a Crossroads Occult up in Shingle Springs in, uh, in your state. You want fixed candles. You want washes. You want spiritual work, you know, cleansings. You go to Katrina. There's nobody better. So again, no bitchcraft, mm-hmm. no bitchcraft. She is still a fine person in our profession and I will send people there. I love that. I love the term bitchcraft, by the way. <laughs> you should make a t-shirt. I get one with it. Get with it. <laughs> it's so good. You mentioned in the, in the book, The Psychic Yellow Brick Road, that you access the Akashic records. And when you're doing specifically, I, I think, past life readings, right. can you explain to me how you got tuned into that, where, how you learned about that? And maybe for the listeners that don't know what those are, just kind of explain sure. a little bit there. Well, we're going to back up a little bit and talk about the difference between past life regression and past life retrieval. Regression must, must be done by a certified hypnotherapist or certified past life regressionist. That's when they take you into trance. You go wandering in the Akashic, which is where it's the repository for all lives, where you can see where you were, where you are, maybe even where you're going to go. If you see a past life where you're gang raped and killed, okay, you could get so emotionally caught in that, that it would be very detrimental for you, might damage you permanently, mentally, unless you are with someone who is a certified hypnotherapist and they can they know how to pull you out so that you can view it like a movie you're not going to internalize it you're not going to feel it okay but there are some people who have questions who don't want to do that work themselves so they come to me to do past life retrieval we've already had an example why do i hate having wet hair in my face i was able to go up grab the story in the akashic and say here read chapter 2 mhm And remember, this is how I understand it. There are as many definitions as there are seekers. And we're not going to know until we're dead. And when we're dead, we don't really come back and tell you. No, we don't. (laughs) But when you die, my understanding is, no, you don't sit up there, you know, in a nightshirt with no underwear, playing a harp. You, You learn. You see where you've been. You go through a life review, very much like defending your life. Yay for Meryl Streep and Albert Brooks. And... You get, you get the lessons and you see where you've been. You see what your lives are trying to work on with you. For me, I've always felt, think I understand that part of me always comes in on the losing side of change. What do I mean by that? In the Wars of the Roses, Lancaster versus York. Lancaster won. I was a Yorkist. World War I, I was a German pilot. This time I'm coming in, I was a baby boomer. 
during the best parts of America. Now America is going all to total hell, which it has to in order to be reborn. Well, I'm a boomer. I'm the one they always go, okay, boomer about. Even though I don't play that role, I am an elder, not a boomer. And I have complete and utter empathy with how millennials and Gen Z feel. They don't have the opportunities we do. But my job here now is to hold up a candle for those who are looking to help them get to the other side. It's an example. If you go through my Akashic record, you'll see these times. Akashic records, that the, that term is mm-hmm. from India, correct? I believe so. I was taught it. I didn't go back to check the etymology. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I can't give you chapter and verse on that. Yeah. But yes, the, the Akashic is what we understand to be the repository of the information of all lives you've ever lived and maybe will live. Mm-hmm. Because time is actually a web, not a line. Mm-hmm. But our little pea brains can understand a line. That's so complex to to pull out and see in a different way. But you're able to, as an Akashic Record reader, you're sort of pulling out a little bit and like dipping in, I imagine, to this web and kind of like pulling for the thing that you intuitively feel connects to the person's question. Right. Uh, Another example, there was a woman who came to me and she said, my son is so attached to me. It's it's like he wants me to give him orders for his life. And I don't know what to do about that. Is this a past life thing? And took me about 30 seconds. And I said, all right, I'm seeing Utah Beach. And you were his commanding officer. And he was shot in the leg and would have died on the beach if you hadn't dragged him to safety. You were hurt yourself, but you both made it out alive. And she looks at me and she says, do you see what my rank was? And I say, yeah, you're a sergeant. And she goes, he has always called me sergeant. We didn't know where, where that was from. Her higher self, her guy said, this is what she needs to know. And so it's kind of like that chapter of that book lit up and I just pulled from that. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Have you ever had an experience where you were freaked out by the message that came through? What do you mean by freaked out? Scared? Yeah, like like you walked away from the reading and you were like, shit, I need to ground myself. I feel crazy. No, because my ego isn't involved. Gratitude, amazement, what I am permitted to do, hell yeah. Because it brings closure. A woman who wanted to know, she was always fascinated by the Underground Railroad. And I said, okay, I'm seeing you in a whitewashed room must be about 1863 or so because, you know, and again, this is my historical knowledge. You're in uh, a dress about that time. It's gray. It's got black soutache trim. You're kneeling by the bed. Very, it looks like a very little old black woman. And there are some taller gentlemen. And the room is so small that, you know, they're six feet, but they're stooped. And she's dying. And there's grief in the room, love and grief from all of you. And she looks at me, she says, I've been having that dream for 20 years. And I didn't know what it was. I described it exactly. So, you know, that could be what you said, but all I could feel was thank you for allowing me to give this woman some peace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that is mind blowing. And on the more positive end, I was thinking of something more dark, you know, did you ever pick up anything where there was like 
I don't know, the worst thing you can think of, like a serial killer or a cannibal. Oh, or something. Before, before I started doing this, really, this is back in 1994 when I was just starting. I, I think I told you about the World War II soldier that we had picked up. We pulled him out of the gray spaces and the big yes. Nazi that put him in was not happy. We figured out who that was because my friend and I were discussing it when she was driving me to the airport and what pulls in front of us, but a car with a license plate, Iron Man 5. Now, what we had seen scrawled on a mirror in lipstick or something in back of the person we pulled out was Iron Man, why did you forsake me? We found out that Iron Man was the nickname of Herman Gehring. When I got back to Atlanta, and this is before I knew grounding, setting, shielding, nothing. I was in my living room and all of a sudden, my flannel shirt, the tail went up right next to my head and I heard a voice, now do you believe I can't get in? And I felt hands around my neck. Now, I managed to get that out, but I called on my dear friend, Adam, whose last name I'm not going to say. But I've known Adam for 40 years. He's amazing. He dead ringer for Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull back when Ian Anderson had the long, mad hair. And it's like he has a little neon sign above his head on the astral. I'm a professional. I don't mm -hmm. care. And back in those days, before all the crazy from 9-11, he was able to get a six-foot ceremonial sword through the luggage without a peep, whether they thought it was golf clubs or whatever, I don't know. But he's the one who came to Atlanta, cleared the apartment, cleared that energy, boxed it up. But now um, you're able to do that yourself. I am so surrounded and protected by my own guides, my own angels, people that I know how to connect with, and the generator is always on, mm -hmm. that I feel safe. I really do. You mentioned angels and spirit guides in the mm -hmm. book and just now. Can you differentiate for the listeners? What's the difference oh, yeah. between the two? I usually say, okay, remember Venn diagrams in math where you have two circles and there's the thing that intersects in the middle. Well, the Venn diagram for angels and spirit guides is a donut. Mm -hmm. The whole is angels, the donut is spirit guides. In other words, all angels are spirit guides, but not all spirit guides are angels. We all have at least one angel that's with us from birth to death. They have our names in their tunics, and they're like little camp tags. I belong. Spirit <laughs> guides grow and change as we do just like teachers change. So I may get a spirit guide for you today and it's absolutely correct. And someone else may get a different spirit guide for you two years down the line and they could be correct. Spirit guides can be people that we've known and loved either in this life or other ones, ETs, animal guides, avatars, other dead humans, whatever. For instance, one of my spirit guides, if you will, is my dad whom I love dearly. He was my best friend. He and I even shared the same birthday. Oh, Remember, spirit guides are not supposed to tell you whether to buy the red card, the blue card. They really don't care. They want you to grow spiritually. They do. Those are the things they'll, they'll tell you about. Don't be mad if you say, well, am I going to buy the Honda Civic or the Subaru Forester? And they go, buy the car where you feel safest. That's no answer. Well, yes, it is. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I think that that's probably comforting for people to hear that you still have the, that relationship with your father, even after his death and this mm -hmm. this lifetime that's for him. 
it can expand people's ideas of what these relationships are and allow us to not maybe grieve for as long as some people do. Some people just cannot let go because they're no longer in the physical, no longer in the physical, and they're really yeah. holding on to that. And of course, yeah. it's, it's a, you know, grieve the way you need to. But then how nice, I'm just thinking, I'm so close to my mother, she's still here. How lovely it would be to still have that conversation with her every so often. The one thing that I tell people is please give them, you know, at least 30 to maybe 90 days up there to (laughs) drop the personality and get into the full soul. Otherwise, it's like trying to wait in line and the little kid keeps, you know, banging on your coat and saying, mommy, 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 because we really do need to drop what the personality is. What's the difference between personality and soul? Soul are all the good things about us. For instance, my father still has his humor, his wisdom, his compassion. He no longer has anxiety. He's not a hypochondriac. You know, all the negative things that we have, that's our personality. That's how we're learning here on earth. We don't need them once we transfer up. We drop them. Hmm. Somebody just told me a few days ago that you got to give them a hot second while they're up there. Because mm-hmm. like you just said, I love that. It's so practical, 30 to 90 days or 60 to 90 days, whatever, because they will want to help you because they're still tethered. So just mm-hmm. try to keep it together for that first part so that you don't, yeah. you know, you give them, it's, it's actually an act of compassion on your part. Yeah. Now, if they come to you a week after they die, that's fine. They're voluntarily coming down. I'm just right. saying, don't, don't tug on them. Yeah. Give them a chance. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. how wonderful it must be to get away from the heaviness of the gravitational pool of this planet and all the negativity and all that. I mean, it would be so nice. You just want to like let them bask in that for a hot second. I really like how you differentiated between or regression versus retrieval, because yep. I think a lot of people think they're the same thing and they're really just like apples and oranges. Like a regressionist mm-hmm. is like you said, If you want to go experience it, yes. if you just want to know about it, you come to me. And the retrieval, just to be clear, is you're just going in to sort of pick up whatever pieces are going to help that person get through that little blip, as opposed to doing a regression is allowing you to explore on your own and to maybe dig deeper into like lots of subjects. And you may not get information on what's bothering you here right now. You may be given something entirely different. Mm-hmm. So retrieval is more focused. The Fae is a hot topic right now. And one of the themes that I'm hearing over and over again is that the Fae are aliens. Aliens are the Fae. They're all kind of the same thing. What's your outlook on that and do you work with the fae or aliens as far as like your spirit guides or any other entities they sure ain't human i'll tell you that much alien simply means they're not human not that they're from planet zorch they -hmm. could be from a different dimension who knows i honor them doesn't mean i set out milk and bread for them every night but i respect them and that's one of the reasons why i think they aren't problematical for me any more than you know i respect germans a german respects me as an american we're fine but we're just not each other i know that they're probably very active right now because they're pissed as hell at us because you know earth is dying but if they are truly from another dimension 
they are probably going to be able to escape somewhere else while Earth heals and help repopulate it after we blow ourselves to kingdom come. Mm-hmm. You know, no, I'm not predicting, but I'm saying the way the Earth is going, there has to be bring it down to base and redo it mm-hmm. to clear things. Elves, fairies, anything like that that we have in like Celtic folklore, is that all in that category that you're talking about right now? Mm-hmm. One of the best ways I've seen, especially Ireland described, is there's a great young adult series that I adore. It's the Young Wizard series by Diane Duane. And she's got a book called A Wizard Abroad. And it takes place in Ireland. And you get to see the fae, the she, the wild hunt, and realize they really are from a different dimension closer to what she calls what a lot of people would call heaven she calls time heart hmm. and you understand that they are perfected beings that when you stand next to the fae you feel shopworn and dingy and and just not as <laughs> we humans are so fallible you know we're like tattered paper bags next to true fae <laughs> and i get that but next to an ant an ant may feel the same way about us. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of people recently have been saying, too, that the Fae can be good and bad. And there's benevolent and malevolent of all the realms. And I think people are focusing on trying to get us to understand mm-hmm. that it's not just one kind. There's a, Not all Fae are good. Not all aliens are good, right? Do you agree with that? Right. Do you find that Absolutely. there's... Some humans make wonderful little ant farms. Some humans say, you bastard, that's my watermelon and squish it. (laughs) You know, but they're all ants. Why aren't we the same for all ants? Well, (laughs) it's how we view them. It's how we view, are they nice little happy carpenter ants or are they fire ants? So nothing is black and white in the world. Absolutely nothing. Yeah, it's interesting that we want to do that all the time though we just in the same way that you mentioned before we can only handle linear versus the web it's like we can only handle polarity versus like all options we constantly judge you know there's a thing in my first book clean out your life closet that talks about learning to be a happy martian detective we (laughs) go through life judging everything we get up in the morning and it's like constantly God, I'd love that car. Why is she wearing that dress? God, that sucks. I'm going to be late for work. The boss is going to be mad. I don't want that sandwich. It looks soggy. We see something. We immediately think we know what it is. Like, let's say you and I are sitting down and there's water coming out of your eyes. I might immediately assume you're crying. But a Martian who's been sent down to visit Earth and knows from nothing is going to toddle up to you and go, why is there water coming from your eyes? And the Martian might be right. Because maybe you have allergies, or maybe your contact lenses are bugging you, or maybe there's an emotional basis. When you toss aside it completely non-judgmental, and you just keep asking the questions to find out the information, things get much less black and white. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do, though, in the moment. It is. It's taken me decades, but I'm better at it than I used to be. You know, we're still in COVID. It's been a crazy 18 mm-hmm. months-ish. I I just got a, an emergency text today, like the mm-hmm. same sound as the Amber Alert. I'm in, in Los mm-hmm. Angeles and it says the cases are rising. We haven't had one of those messages for a really long time. Do you have any intuition about what the fuck is going on with COVID or 
or what you feel is well, going to come from my, this? My cynical side says Mother <laughs> Nature is trying to get rid of the two-legged cockroaches. That would be us. <laughs> yes, it would be us. We've done so much damage to the earth that there's no telling what's going to happen. Life will never, ever go back to the way we knew it when I was young, 60s, 70s, 80s. There will have to be some kind of breakdown for a rebuild. So would that be Mm -hmm. safe to say you intuitively feel we're in the breakdown? Yeah, I mean, I was talking to my friend Pat Dumas, who is just about one of the best astrologers I've ever known. Hmm. And for all of you astrologers out there, I'm going to say things that you will understand and you can explain them to your buddies. So I said, what is the story with the pandemic? And she said, the problem is five indicators of heavy mortality and illness in the three-month period of the cancer ingress to Libra. What does that mean? That means June 20th to September 21st. Mm -hmm. And as far as this country goes, her comment is Pluto and Saturn in the first house ruled by Saturn, the most evil combination for an astrology chart possible. First house of the country's overall health. This is the two pandemics, unvaccinated versus vaccinated. And we're going to go through a lot of, this country is going to have to change. And if it has to change, you know, the the example I use is the tower card in tarot. The tower card, when people look at it, they get terrified (laughs) Um, because they see it's a flaming tower. It's crumbling. There are people falling off the top and dying. And I say, okay. You can look at it as doom, gloom, and destruction. But I want you to think of it as the imploding sports stadium card. Hmm. Dodgers want to build a new stadium. They got to blow up the old one first. Good point. And that's that's where we're going. With that being said, do you feel that you want to book it out of the U.S. and go live in a cute little flat in Portugal? Or do you think it's worth it to stick around and, and do what we got to do here? Well, for one thing, I am 66 and I don't have a million dollars cold cash. So no country wants me. (laughs) I am and my husband are as stuck in America. We cannot leave. Okay. At the same time, I know that I was, I am here for a reason. I've got to help those who need a candle in the dark. I'm never going to convince the ambulatory plague rats what to do. The storm trumpers, the QAnons, they're not my peeps. But those of us who see a brighter future, but are scared we're going to have to walk in the dark over glass, I hold up a candle. That's my job. It's my job. A wonderful job. I mean, it's intrinsically in service to other, which is, Mm -hmm. as you've mentioned earlier, like automatically fulfilling for you. And I think that with everything that's happening with COVID, we're probably going to have to dig a little deeper inside ourselves to find the way that we can serve probably via the internet, because it's going to be hard for us to be in person for long periods Mm -hmm. of time for probably a while. Do you think so? Or yes. Or if there's a way you could mask up and feed people, you do it. You know, it's, it's things like that. You help where you can. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, people always say to everybody, what's the one thing in your life that really changed your life? And for me, it was an incident that happened when I was seven. 
there was a restaurant in Pensacola, New Jersey called the Calico Kitchen. And we always went there every Friday night. It was me and my father and my brother and my brother. And remember, in the 60s, you didn't have homeless people the way you do now. Mm-hmm. So we're walking into the Calico Kitchen and in the vestibule, there is a homeless person, dirty, with a cap out. Dad sent us all in, had to sit down and said, I'll be right back. He goes out, he pulls up the man, he shakes his hand, he talks to him very intently. And between the two dining rooms at the Calico Kitchen was a little lunch counter. He walked the man in, sat him down, talked to the waiter, and came back to the table. I said, Daddy, what was that? He said, well, the man wanted me to give him money, but I was afraid he might drink with it, and that's bad for him. So I brought him in, and I told the waitress that he could order anything he wanted to eat, and I would pay for it. And I said, Daddy, he's dirty. Why couldn't you give him just a sandwich outside? And he said, honey, the sandwich would have been good. But he needed to know he was a man and he was worth sitting at a table like us. Still getting chills on that now. That one incident is what shaped my life. You know, Corby Mitleid is an adapted, uh, an entertainer's name, if you will. You have Reg Dwight and Elton John. Well, my legal name is the Reg Dwight and Corby Mitleid is the Elton John name. Corby is Ravens. Gaelic for ravens because ravens are my baby birds. But mitleid is German for compassion, to always remind me why I do the work I do. Directly from that incident when I was seven. We all have something like that that shaped us Mm -hmm. for the good. It pays to go and find it. Remind yourself of that occasionally. Mm -hmm. That's an incredible story. And I think what's most incredible about it from my perspective is that It was just one experience, but it was so palpable and it was so strong that it, it like rewired pathways in your brain. Yes. Yeah. And you knew you use them now. And here's my question based off of that. Gen Mm. Z's, especially I'm not one of them, but I, I see them all the time. I, I hear from them a lot. They're really anxious right now. And they're really, I mean, we all are, holy shit. It's, it's anxiety Mm -hmm. central and we all have to work on, you know, dealing with that, but how, when you're feeling that anxious and that depressed and sort of myopic, what would be your advice to encourage them or to get them to help others, you know, cause it can be so hard from that place where you're feeling so anxious what could be something small that they could do or something, something just like, I know you said help where you can. What's your advice for the younger generations? I would first look at them and say, you have every right in the world to be afraid and angry. You have that right. Now you have to decide what are you going to do with that energy? Because if you simply live in it in fear, then you're letting that energy and if you will, the boomers that you think did that to you, to keep controlling your life. You fight. Not all boomers are as bad as we're painted. Some of us are elders. Elders are the ones who know we need to pass on what we know. Elders are the ones who understand. I mean, look at Native American elders. They've been talking about this time for a long time. We're not saying we're so much better than you are because we're older. We are saying we have experience that may be of use to you. Let us be there for you. Now, you see how that is different from the way most boomers are pictured. Mm -hmm. One of the mistakes we made was saying never trust anybody over 30. I mean, that was classic in the 60s. So 
we only looked at siblings. We only looked at our generation. We didn't really look down and we didn't really look up to learn from our own elders. Don't make that mistake. Don't be a sibling society because you are going to have to create that nucleus. There's family of choice and family of blood. Make your family of choice. For instance, um, the one kid that I'm teaching that is so good, I'm effectively her aunt by osmosis, her and her sister. I'm terribly close with her family. I'll probably end up potting with them in the next lockdown. Okay. I am 10, 15 years older than her parents. I'm, you know, grandmother age to her, but we don't slice the generations. We are a pod. We are people together. That's what I would do. Remember, you have every right to be angry. Of course you do. What is not going to serve you is to make that anger your reason for being. We were angry about the Vietnam War. It doesn't look like we made changes because all we did was get angry. We didn't move forward with it. Don't make the mistakes that we did. See what your anger can do to make the world better. Find some of us older people that have things to teach you that are valuable to you now. Find your family of choice. And just because it's been done one way forever doesn't mean it has to be done that way now. Life is change. You are young enough and strong enough and vital enough to make the massive changes we need. That's great advice. And to remember that anger is a high enough vibration to have action tethered to it. You can, Mm -hmm. you can, if you're depressed, it's much harder to take action, but anger is, is got energy. You can use that energy, Mm -hmm. but it can be super hard to figure out where to point it. So, yeah. Pick one thing, pick one thing. You cannot do everything. Um, One of the things that's important to me, number one, teach my one student because she is 14. She will be a superb intuitive consultant for y'all when I'm dead. The other thing is just because I am at me is I support a cat rescue. Um, Because these are small, innocent animals who didn't ask to be starved, beaten, thrown against walls. And so... I save little lives. Up here, always work with a food bank. Always work with a homeless shelter. I, you know, yeah, there are some people that say, let's make water clean for the whole world. And sometimes I think I should be doing that. But I know that my personal gift is to be able to sit with someone and connect Mm one-on-one. Someone is homeless. I get a sandwich. I split it with them. We eat together. I acknowledge them as a human being that can maybe keep them from committing suicide that night. So that's why anger is good to keep you energized, but turn the anger into a more positive emotion, emotional fuel. Mm -hmm. Once you acknowledge the anger, I have a right to be angry. Where am I going to take this energy and make it work? It's, Almost like the call to action is to become an alchemist of your own emotions. You know, you're allowing yourself to fully feel the emotion that is of a lower vibration, like like anger, and then to find action that's worthy that allows the trans, you know, the alchemy to happen where it turns into, okay, that anger just turned into a compassionate act. I'm going to use, you know me, I love stories and things. 
you know, there's this Brita pitcher and uh-huh. you put in the filter. Mm-hmm. Well, you can drink the water out of the tap and God knows what's in it. And it tastes good, but you don't know what you're putting in your body. Same water filtered through Brita, you know it's clean and you can drink it. So imagine your emotional strength filled with anger. You let it go through the filter and the emotional strength is still there, but the anger has been filtered out, which gives you more power Mm. and also helps you put your ego aside because the ego will trip you up. But does the action get rid of the anger? Sometimes. Yeah. If you do for others, you don't do it because, you know, I don't help the cats because I want people to see how good I am. It is completely in this poor little animal. Um, You know, we talked before we came on, I have a rescue cat from the Bronx. It lived in a crack house. It only got fed every few days after its owners got drugs money. Um, it was beaten. Now I've saved it. It thinks it died. It went to heaven in this house, (laughs) but it was only one life, but it is a consciousness and a spark Mm -hmm. and it's gratitude. It's love helps ground me a little bit. So even that tiny action made a difference. Not that it's just a cat, right? It's a, it's a conscious being and it's a little better in the world when you can let go of your anger and don't let it poison so that you realize, yes, it may be awful that people in your city won't feed the homeless. But don't have that anger when you hand them a bowl of soup and a, and a hunk of bread and sit and eat with them. Feel the connection. Feel the grace of what you're doing. You're holding back the dark just a little bit. Right. Do you have any techniques that you would like to share about expressing or releasing anger or end or grounding yourself? Well, I always ask myself three questions in in any situation where I'm not at my best. Number one, what am I ex about? Whether it's angry or depressed or scared or whatever. Second question is, why am I ex about that? Once I discovered that, the third question we never ask ourselves, what do I think would happen if I stopped being X about that? We can choose. I never use the phrase, you make me so mad, because somebody, I don't care what their actions are. They're simply having an action. It's my reaction that I'm choosing. Um, The example I use, action, neutral, it's raining. You've got three situations. One guy is at the beach with his kids. He's only there for a week and it's going to rain all week. He's stuck in the house they rented me i'm working on my next book and i'm in the house and the cats are sleeping i'm just working people here in scohari county it's been two months without rain and finally there's rain now the rain doesn't care what people think about it it's just the rain but the guy at the beach thinks it's awful i don't care the people who are the farmers love it now the guy at the beach can say well okay fine i've always wanted to show my kids marx brothers movies we're in the house we're going to have a marathon turns it into something good i still don't care And one of the farmers says, oh, but I had a crop that did really well in the dry weather. And now I'm mad, even though everybody else is happy he's mad. We choose how to react. So magic three questions, guys. What am I X about? Why am I X about that? And really explore. What do I think would happen if I wasn't X about that? 
Is there anything specifically that you just want to shout from a rooftop at this time in your life based off of everything that's been going on in the past year and just what's rolling around in your mind? We need each other now more than we've ever needed each other. We absolutely do. Truth. Millennials and Gen Z are the only hope we have left. Whatever those of us who are elders can do to support you, let us. Don't see us as the enemy. Not all of us are. Those of us who understand the position of elders want to give you everything we've got so that we leave here a husk and nothing wasted. Find us. Wow. I think that's very powerful because a lot of younger people have been telling me that they don't feel like they have access to elders, that they don't have access to the archetype of an elder, like somebody who actually has any wisdom to pass down, I guess I'll say. They have older people in their lives, but they're, they find them. There's a difference between old people and elders. Exactly. Yeah. The last thing I always ask everyone is what is the most profound spiritual, paranormal and or woo supernatural experience you've you've ever had? And I'm sure the bar is high, right? Because you are experiencing this kind of shit on a day to day basis, six days out of the week, no Wednesdays. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it was the first time that I had actual experience of angelic presence back in Atlanta. And I, I'm not going to give you the details, but I was in my room. I was in my nightgown, dark. And all of a sudden I felt hands on my arm and I saw the imprint of fingers and there was a light and there was the most beatific feeling of peace and protection and compassion that I had ever had. And I've always remembered that sometimes I wonder, did I make it up? But I know I didn't. And that's what reminds me. There's, there's more than this, than this earth. There is more than we are here. And they're willing to help us if we open up to them and we're willing to partner with them. They won't fix it. That they'll partner with us to help us fix things. When you look back on experiences like that, hard to remember if it really happened or not. But there's some that you just can't, you can't ignore. You just know, and it, with every rudiment of your being, that they were there. But God, the the ego does such a great, incredible job, really, of like suppressing that relationship. <laughs> I know. Look, I was very lucky in that I immediately wrote it down. And I called my best friend who also could see the way I did and had her own guides. And she, before I told her anything, I knew where her guides had been standing during this episode because they were friends of all of us. And she was able to describe exactly what happened to me in minute detail from a 90 degree angle based on her friends before I said anything. There it you happened. go. Yeah. Well, awesome. Like you said, that you have that community to be able to ping pong that off of. So that's so great, right? I think we should try to cultivate communities like that so that we can encourage each other to not, not go back to the like, oh no, we're just crazy. And that shit doesn't happen. Cause the reason I have this podcast right now is because the paranormal is like the most popular it's ever been. It's like, we don't give a shit anymore. It's all here and it's coming to the surface. So I really hope that more little pods like that can, can grow because then it, it creates a, yes. a wave of evolution. 
I just love also that you're mentoring the 14 year old tarot card reader, which by the way, I would love to get a reading from her and you at some point for her, especially, you know, like you said, I'd I'd love to blow her shit up because you just don't hear about 14 year olds that have that gift very often. I had a blast. I did too. Wonderful, wonderful questions. And you allowed us to really get deep into the philosophy of things, not just, oh, what does that card mean? Which bores me to tears. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you. And I really appreciate you taking the time. You know, I never know what to expect. And you're just a delightful person. You have a wonderful energy. So thank you, Corby. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Guess what? Corby has hooked me up with that 14-year-old tarot wizard, and she and I are going to craft a little treat for you Order of the Woo patrons. So keep an eye out for that. You can book a reading with Corby at her website, corbymitlide.com, or at bestpsychicdirectory.com. You can also purchase her books on her website or on Amazon. I obviously recommend The Psychic Yellow Brick Road, like I said, especially if you're just starting down this path of the woo. It's an incredible resource that will save you time and money and probably many headaches. Of course, all of these links will be in the show notes for this episode. Take good care of yourselves, y'all. It is a hard and weird time, but there's space for amazing growth here. And if we're brave and gentle and curious enough, this can really be a time of great collective magic. Blessed be, witches, and stay away from that bitchcraft. Bye! Thank you for following The Woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow The Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, 